Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and I'm from Portland! <laughs> you sure are. Today we're talking about Club 54, which begins with Steve wondering about Loki's play and ends with a weekend in Portland. Look at that, Pete. Uh, you can hang out with Tony and Colson. <laughs> this is the whole reason I started doing this show, so we could get to this minute. <laughs> this is why you're yeah. here. That's right. The one. Back on the show, it's Robin Burge all the way from Minute 19. Hello, Robin. Hello. What, what's happened? What did I miss? <laughs> Oh, oh boy! So much. There's been, oh, there's so been a lot. Much. So much. So much fighting. So much fighting. Uh, and now <laughs> we're here on the Quinjet, and our heroes are sitting around the table talking. And I wanted to know specifically from this minute, what reason did you pick this particular minute? Uh, some may say it might be Thor's uh, comic timing. <laughs> One might say that I'm sitting here going, uh, I know. I know Cap's going to say I got that reference any minute now, but oh wait, it's not this minute. He's he seems to be sitting in the same place. <laughs> no, it it's I am intrigued by the dialogue at the end of the scene where Tony walks in with Coulson, and I am so glad that I have a Portland native. Uh, and depends what Portland we're talking about uh, to to explain it to me. True, true. <laughs> is that ever cleared up? It's the correct Portland, I think, is it's the correct Portland. Let's go ahead and presume oh, it's okay. the correct Portland. So, so, I'm sitting right here, you guys, <laughs> okay. right here okay. in the correct Portland. We don't need to litigate this any further. It's at Portland, Minnesota, right? Uh, you look, it, look, <laughs> we brought you on this podcast. We can kick you right off. I thought you were the one who told us there were no cellists in Portland, Pete. <laughs> I think you've I, already sold us that it wasn't your Portland. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I don't remember the stuff I say on this show. <laughs> You're just in a fugue state the entire time. Right? I'm in a fugue state most of the time. All right. Well, we're in this conversation with our heroes around the table here. And, uh, you know, they're having this conversation trying to figure out what is what's Loki's plan. As Steve, you know, the minute starts right before this minute, Steve said Loki's going to drag this out and then asks Thor, what's his play? So Thor responds, he has an army called the Chitauri, and I guess let's start our conversation here, because that, to me, strikes me as the writer needing to get the Chitauri, um, one, into the story again to remind us that there's this army coming, but two, also so that everybody else knows, oh, there's this army coming, because how does Thor know all of this? Do either of you have any sense as to how that information would have made it his way? That, I think, is the central question. <laughs> That's a huge question because he, he just shows up and uh, he, he also he knows about the Tesseract. He's ready and, and he never actually dealt with the Tesseract before. That was it. Was he sent down? Did somebody did he go in and meet with M and Q in his <laughs> headquarters in Asgard and they gave him the mission mm. to go get Loki because of the Chitari army, the Chitarmi? And oh, uh, because and that was <laughs> Did you? Can you honestly tell me you didn't see that coming? Come on! I mean, it makes total sense. They <laughs> wrote it that way, demanding the that concatenation of terms. The yeah, they have a, it's it's more the Chitair Force. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. 
Okay. I mean, there's a whole branch, the Chirines. <laughs> that sounds like an exotic fruit. Um, so I, that is the real question. Did he come down preloaded with the information that he would need to, to tell the rest of the Avengers? I'm going to say no. Like, we'll note, he is massively more chill in this minute in the helicarrier than he was when he was trying to beat the crap out of these Avengers who were standing in his way of getting to Loki a few minutes ago. So... You know, it it is what it is. But um, I I feel like he had to have give, been given some information. Otherwise, it's uh, magic. I think he uh, visited Odin in his prison cell and got some good, you know, information on you know maybe some of the motives of this killer that is out and about. Uh, yeah, I'm making a Silence of the Lambs reference. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is a little. Uh, funky. Now, I know there was an element in the comics where uh, when they figure out that Loki, uh, where Loki is, Frigga tries reaching out to him and um, is trying to, um, I'm not exactly sure, try to convince him to come home. He refuses to respond, though. And I'm just wondering if in that comic, which I, I haven't read that one, but I am wondering if there is some sense of Frigga having like at least tapped into his mind a little bit to to learn more as to what he's up to. But otherwise, it's like, I don't know how any of them, anyone on Asgard would be able to figure all of this out, especially since as we've been kind of having these conversations about the Chitauri and everything that they're from like this hidden world, as, as Thor says right here, they're not of Asgard, nor any world known. And so it ends up feeling so forced just to throw this in here, just so I guess our heroes needed to know who they were up against. But I don't know if they even needed to. And that's maybe that's why I end up getting frustrated with it, because it's like, did we even need to have this information in here? There Were they minted on space rocks? Is that where the Chitarmi is from? Like that that is the most this. I think of all the things we're looking at a movie about superheroes from, based on comic books. Yeah. And this line feels like in the, the some of the most comic writing that we have in this entire in, in an otherwise incredibly grounded comic book movie. I'm just trying to think of the specifics of Thor's world and what he has access to. And then you go, oh, wait, he's a god. So doesn't he just know everything? Or is it Odin that knows everything? And then you have Idris Elba who sees everything. Uh, maybe Idris Elba has just been, I'm sorry, I forgot his name, uh, has been watching uh, Heimdall. Heimdall, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, has been watching all this go down and is like, oh, I better tell Thor. But here's the thing. Here's here's the thing with that, Robin. Like they're gods; they know everything. But do they know everything about each other? Because uh, in Asgard, there is ne not necessarily a sense that all gods know everything about each other all the time. Well, if you're a fellow god, I suppose you can. <laughs> you have the ability to unlock the secrets yeah. of other gods, <laughs> or just keep them <laughs> keep them secret. Yeah, keep them secret. Right. right. Yeah, it does end up feeling like one of those things that they felt we needed to have our heroes know just so they were that they knew he was up against an army but i feel like they could have done it where thor i mean he could have even come down and said something like you know word is he has an army or he's built an army that he's planning on using to invade uh, or something you know i don't know i i just don't know if if we needed to define it as the chitauri other than just to remind the audience 
oh yeah, remember those things that you caught a glimpse of at the very beginning? We're still talking about those because they will yeah. come into play at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, right. I mean, we could rewrite this even to make it even better because, you know, we're, we could probably do better than Joss Whedon. Uh, I mean, in, in many things. Uh, but uh, yeah, the uh, the other, maybe the other is like is upset that Thanos is using his arm. It maybe I'm not sure if he's a Chitauri. So is it, let's say it's his army and it's like, and and he's realizing that Loki is just going to take over his army. So he gets upset about it and tips off, you know, of course, the one person you'd want to go to to take care of Loki would be Thor. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Interestingly, the uh, the other is in the Marvel Wiki is noted as being a Chitari, but there isn't really a lot about him that looks Chitari-ish, especially like the six fingers, like there, like the way that his face is structured. I mean, it doesn't quite look the same. So um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a different type of Chitari. Who knows? But that was that one time when he and uh, his other family members haunted Nicole Kidman for that one movie. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what you're talking about. The, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that, right. that one. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just here to pad out the podcast. Keep talking. <laughs> Deep cut, Verge. <laughs> uh, that was funny. Uh, I never noted. I never counted her fingers close enough in that film. That's the problem. <laughs> she probably did have six fingers, also. <laughs> so I, I, I actually, uh, when when we when we open this minute, uh, we have this shot of Thor. You know, deep in thought, he seems to be. I don't know. I guess he's just kind of resigned. He's just like, well, I guess I'll just hear them out, and if I disagree, I'll just take my brother and and continue with the plan that I had, which was take my brother home. But yeah, now he's kind of resigned. It's this very pensive Thor that we start the minute with. And this, I mean, we talked about this at the very end of Captain America in the post credits uh, when they have that little trailer, because this shot is featured in there. Like, why are we getting this such like mopey shot of the Avengers like <laughs> sitting around a table? Yeah. It doesn't seem like the heroes I want to watch. I wondered why he was like posed like a model when I saw that trailer yeah. originally. I was like, what is Thor? What are they doing with Thor? Was he, I don't know. I guess he's got a great outfit. I mean, I don't know. I can't imagine sitting in that vest, but uh, uh, it's a great outfit. So maybe he's posing. <laughs> That's yeah. They're showing the, they're showing us that, Hey, we've changed his costume. He is now sleeveless. That's exactly what it is. Check out these biceps. He is now sleeveless. Yeah. It is an interesting, way that he is uh, behaving here in this minute. And, and as you said, Pete, it's like, you know, it's very different from who, like how we had just seen him in this fight. He was very headstrong going in and, and uh, fighting Iron Man and, uh, you know, striking his hammer at Captain America, like very much um, the, the um, hot-headed warrior is that we get this is kind of that moment where he has settled down he's i suppose in a place where he is kind of willing to listen but probably always listening for the clues that he needs to get out of there you know like okay that's where the tesseract is i can go get it get loki and then we can get the hell out of here yes which makes sense i mean i at this point 
I, uh, other than knowing that, uh, obviously, he is the one who knows that Loki has this access to the Chitauri, but I'm assuming that he also recognizes the fact that, hey, if I get the Tesseract and I get Loki and I take him back to Asgard and we put him in our little dungeon, he's not going to be able to do anything anymore with the Chitauri. And, and that's the end of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. to a certain extent, his plan actually probably makes the most sense and <laughs> get the Tesseract into his hand and get them the hell out of here. And right? get out of there. Yeah, right. <laughs> Great talking to you all. Good. Nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Except you, uh, Goatee. <laughs> yeah, right, uh, right, right. <laughs> so this kind of opens up with Steve saying, Thor, what's this play? And yeah, that, that trailer that we saw at the end of Captain America with them sitting around, you know, it's kind of, you know, dopey looking, but We've been, you know, as fans of of comics and wanting the, uh, looking forward to, oh my God, all these years are going to get together and we're going to have an Avengers movie? Are you kidding me? Like, this Thor What's His Play is very much like, here we go. Like, Steve's taking charge of his team. I need a briefing. I Stat. Let's, let's get, let's work on a plan together, you know? Uh, so, I, I it's kind of exciting to, to see Steve just, you know, assume leadership or direction like this so this you like this is the the time when you feel like that that this is the movie you wanted to see yeah yeah since the last minute i saw was uh bruce banner and natasha romanoff in somewhere in central america uh yeah all of a sudden we're, india. No, i'm just kidding oh is it it was india <laughs> it's india <laughs> yeah they did wow. great right okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> what movie are we watching? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, well, okay, but to your point, though, I mean, so you you came in earlier in the season talking about the team building. Now we have the team. Thor yeah. has finally showed up, and now we have essentially everybody except Hawkeye, who is still uh, being mind controlled by Loki, and they're all around this table. And to your point, we are starting to draw out various personalities of these different people, right? We have Steve, who's kind of setting up this uh, position of leadership, the one who's trying to guide the conversation to figure out a plan. You have Bruce, and eventually, by the time we get to the end of this minute, Tony coming in as the scientists, thinking about the all the angles of the science that's going to be needed for integration into all of this. Thor is, at this point, the one with the information. He's got more information than anyone else about what's going on with Loki and everything. And uh, Natasha doesn't have a lot other than all we really get out of her in this minute is, um, you know, the fact that Loki has them under a spell, including one of theirs. She's the one who brings the information about Hawkeye into the conversation. And then, of course, the fact that uh, Loki killed 80 people in two days. So we're getting information and and we're getting, I guess, uh, a little bit of the personality of each of these people and their roles. Um, I mean, are you does it make sense? Is there as far as what we're, what we have with these five people, are they uh, are they painted in a way that makes sense for their characters? Well, starting with Steve, I mean, he's the only one that I could remember in the last, you know, a few movies that would be the guy looking down on a map with people around him and just kind of plotting out a, a plan, you know, for, uh, you know, to take a, you know, battalion into. Uh, so he, I think he's just kind of naturally falling into that. Uh, yeah, Thor seems a little lost, but I guess he's still learning how to uh, work with humans, maybe. Uh, and especially 
you know, this isn't just like working with Jane and Selvig. This is, this is a whole big, you know, organization. And do we trust them? Well, we'll get into that, but you know, yeah. Uh, right. uh, yeah. Uh, Natasha, I think she's a, she's a, she's a company, company girl. She's working mm-hmm. with shield and she's, uh, trying to help them. And, um, yeah, Bruce is thinking about the science. Yeah, I mean, I think they're all kind of falling into the role. And Tony's being, you know, his uh, usual self. <laughs> Where he's like, I have information uh, and I'll just throw it out there like, duh. And, <laughs> and be above everybody. You know? <laughs> I, I do like that we're, they are finding ways to build the team. I mean, yes, I, I it would be nice to think that you have six people they're each going to have kind of a defined part of the of kind of being on the team how how will they fit with those others and and that's an element that i um i i mean to your point thor at this point seems a little lost other than having a lot of information natasha i i i mean as the company girl as the as the person here who kind of at this point probably has been with shield the well certainly the longest out of this group like i i kind of I don't know. I, I maybe would like a little bit more out of her. Like, I just don't feel like we're getting much out of her other than she's upset that her friend is still under Loki's spell um, and certainly seems to have it out for Loki. But it is interesting. And, and you know, I, I don't know. I guess as a group, I like that it's starting to feel like we've moved past the fighting. And now we're coming to this place where they will actually start talking and they will start figuring out how to work together. And it still is going to take some time, but I like that we're getting to that place. Right. Well, and at this point, like we hope because it's still a little clumsy and dour. And I like that they're all at least at a minimum. Sorry, Jeremy Renner. They're all in the same room. Like, if that's the only win I can take from this sequence, then it's that. Uh, Of course, we're getting into some of my favorite dialogue in the movie too so there's definitely some good dialogue in here um and um and i guess that's the you know that's a hard thing to do and i I suppose this is likely one of those challenging things that people who would say oh how are you going to do a team movie you know you have all these you know these big actors they're all going to want to say all the big lines they're all going to want to have the big parts but i still think that there it does feel like there ends up being largely i suppose but it does feel like there is balance and and we're kind of getting the personalities of them they're all getting to say things and i think that's i think that's a um that's probably one of the reasons why this film works right yeah i think that's that is one of the hallmarks of the film right i mean i feel like we still hold this movie up as the example of how to do a team up movie because it was the first one that actually felt like a team up movie where it wasn't just like a lead singer and the rest of the band like <laughs> it actually does give give the characters by and large even uh even sort of steel around the table and good for those actors to all like go okay we're in this for this you know and yeah yeah i'm trying to i mean the closest thing at this point in time was probably x-men i'm trying to think if there had been something else i mean the spider-man films were like there's peter and there's harry and there is two or three villains things like that but it never was like six people all coming together and i think so to that an x-men is probably the closest and i'm just X-Men's trying to remember the closest but who was the favorite in the x-men really 
Well, but that's the right. thing. Toad. Exactly. Like where <laughs> Toad, of course. Where were <laughs> like let's not forget the one of the best Joss Whedon lines. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Where where were um was there a scene like this? I'm just trying to remember in that film if they had any scenes like this uh that gave everybody kind of a chance to participate. Jeez. I just I don't remember that film that well. I don't know if either of you do. Yeah, yeah same. it's been a while since yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, it's I mean, it would be interesting if they had tried at least. I mean, obviously, you've got a few key characters, but this is I mean, you've got a good chunk of people here and they're all kind of having they're all involved in this conversation. And that's uh, that's important. Yeah. Well, what I remember about the X-Men is that really the movie is, I mean, much like uh, the comic series is the Wolverine coming into this already formed team. Whereas with the Avengers, these are all new people coming in to work for Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. And, you know, so they're all new. They're all point of view characters in a way, you know? Yeah. The interesting thing, I guess, about the X-Men is anybody who's a mutant could potentially end up becoming an X-Men or part of the team. If you have some crazy power, then you are therefore somebody who might be a candidate to be trained and brought in, brought on board. And so it's a world where there are a lot more people, a lot more potential candidates for something like that. But yeah. So anyway, let's, um, let's start talking about the dialogue. So Pete, you really enjoy this dialogue. Uh, what, what stands out as the, as the key things here that make this, uh, this, this portion of this scene work so well? This, I mean, just in general, the sequence, I, you know, this is not, um, we're not yet to, uh, some of the, some of my favorite wit, but he does start, does come in on, you know, on his, Portland fly you to Portland bit, which is a nice tie in to to Agents of Shield. I think that's that's uh, super fun. Um, I I think the just in general hearing them talk to one another is great. But the the line you know that we get these the little the little beats right. He's uh, he's an astrophysicist. He's a friend. Um, you know, having them be able to talk around each other and and. <laughs> get to eventually the Thor's bit of humor. He killed 80 people in two days. Well, he's adopted. You know, I think that's really funny. And that is like classic sort of uh, Joss Whedon turns of, of phrase. And as as much as, you know, whatever I think about the guy, he does know how to turn a phrase. Uh, and I got to say, uh, Hemsworth's uh, comic chops is are, is really starting to come out. And I think he's the one, at least in this minute, that seems to handle... Like he didn't. He doesn't just say like he's adopted. He says he's adopted. Like like a question. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So like uh, I don't question. know if that was directed <laughs> at all, but I thought that was a really cool way to uh, to read that line as well. Yeah, I do too. It's a very funny way to say it. Yeah, it it makes it stand out. Um, and it, I mean, I, it follows on a line that is, um, uh, I think gets dropped from the conversation when it comes to Loki because of the funny line that follows immediately afterward. But the, it does, it comes off of a line that Natasha says about how he killed 80 people in two days. And I think it's, it's interesting how the comedy ends up burying so much of kind of like the darkness of Loki. And, you know, we talked about this <laughs> yes. in Stuttgart, how he was about to kill that old man. Like, I mean, 
he he essentially would have killed the old man if it wasn't Steve who actually had stopped him. And so, like, it's a fairly dark Loki that we have here. And this is the Loki that gets the TV show and everything. And so it's 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 interesting how easy it is to kind of wipe all of these sorts of things away from Loki just because Tom Hiddleston is such a charming actor and we enjoy kind of this mischievous character. But he is fairly dark. And yeah, I mean, these, I mean I'm assuming the 80 people... I'm guessing they must have just been the people at Project Pegasus. Uh, maybe they're throwing in the like the scientist and the the guards and some other people in Stuttgart. But I don't think really there weren't any deaths there, largely other than the the very specific people they were attacking. It's a lot of people. I just did, did not. Did, I was I was sick of that too. I was like, where did the eighty people? Like eighty people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just because, I mean, we saw there were a lot of vehicles still trying to get out of the base. Yeah. And so I'm guessing a lot of people just didn't end up making it out and kind of got crushed as the whole place collapsed, which is horrifying. Truly. Let's give the guy his own show. <laughs> right? <laughs> Although the interesting thing about that is, do you say that Loki killed those 80 people? Because it kind of is the Tesseract. And it's it, the kind of the misbehaving, the the unstable and nature of it at that particular point that kind of leads to that uh, explosion slash implosion. Is it Loki's fault? Would they be pinning that to him? Well, I think they are. I think they're pinning that to him, sure, because he's the sort of architect. He's the instigator of all of this. Like, if they took Loki out of everything, there would be no more trouble. Yeah, 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 is the idea again? Get the tesseract off the planet. Let get the tesseract and Loki off the planet. Follow Thor's plan. Had they just followed Thor's plan, uh, they should give it to Rose and have her throw it off a ship, and we'll be done with it. <laughs> Why did you know? Certain Howard Stark uh, could have just left it there, but come on, Howard. I know. <laughs> It is interesting that they figure out this whole thing with the portal and that they're going to use the Tesseract for a portal, talking about kind of their conversation to bring the Chitari in here. And I thought that this was an interesting thing, just something that I, I suppose is worth talking about, because they don't call it a wormhole. I, I know in Thor they had talked about, like, traveling with wormholes and all of this sort of stuff and then this rainbow bridge. But what we're really getting here is a portal that is opening up and move, and so people can move from one place to another. And so I had a question, and I just want to uh, make sure that I, I'm thinking of wormholes correctly in this world. When, like, Peter Quill, for example, is traveling, and they do those little hexagonal shapes in the sky, is that wormhole travel that they're doing there? Did they ever describe that as such, or are we just kind of implying that? Yeah, when they do that jumping, the the yeah. whole whole. <laughs> Hole jumping? What did they call that? <laughs> what do they it, call that? Well, that's the thing is, like, I don't know if they call it anything, but it's, I mean, it kind of, it would, my my thinking is that the implication is that's wormholes. Like, they're opening up, I yeah. don't know, a whole hexagonal grid in the sky of possible wormholes to go through and then going through one, but I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. That's a whole lot of iridium. That I, I think that's a fair, yeah, that's a lot of iridium. <laughs> iridium. I, I think that's a fair assumption to make, um, but I, you're right. I don't think they ever, I don't think they clarify. But again, I, it's been, been a long time. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there, Pete. Yeah, we'll get there. Now, who's Oof. this Peter Quill you're talking about? By Let's the, make a note. By the time we get there, I'm gonna put we'll that on have a completely post forgotten about this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Have we ever had wormholes in the movies? Right. Yeah, right. 
Um, is it weird that Jane isn't brought up here as as a scientist? Is Eric only brought up because he happened to be the one kidnapped, even though Jane is the one who kind of had been doing a lot of the science at the time? Or is this just, we don't have Natalie Portman uh, budgeted for this film, so we have to keep her out? <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, I mean, they, set, they do set it up in the... The extra scene, the after credit scene where Loki is is there. So, I mean, they set it up that way. Did they do it because they knew they were going to get Natalie Portman? Or did they think, we we need somebody that can do a real vacant look? Well, there's that girl who did Queen Amidala. Uh, we have her. Uh, nah, she's got enough of that. So, yeah. <laughs> we'll stick with Skeleton Star Star. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I I don't know. I, I I'm assuming because he's he's pretty much like sidelined and uh, shows up to do some like, hey, we got it almost together, Loki, throughout this movie. But I don't think that's anything Natalie Portman would want to. I mean, I don't know why Stellan Skarsgård, other than like, you know, how much you paying? Uh, he he <laughs> takes anything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, uh, is, would it have okay? What shape would the story have taken? If it was Jane who was involved in all of this, and Jane was the one who Loki took uh, mental control over to help with all of this, and Jane and Hawkeye were the two that were kind of now helping him build all of this, what would that have done to kind of the construction of the story? As our scientist from Thor, if she was the one who they continued the story with? I think you'd have a really unhinged Thor. I think Thor would not be as composed as he is now. It's like, oh, Selvig? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, I, we drank together. <laughs> <laughs> but it was Jane. Oh, my God. He'd be, like, throwing Loki all around the uh, the the helicarrier there. We on the helicarrier? You said Quinjet at the beginning of the... Oh, I, I meant helicarrier, okay. yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, I know, yeah, I know where I'm at. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, I think he would have taken it a lot more personally. I don't know, with Natalie Portman in the role, maybe you would see a couple of scenes of her, like, fighting it, you know, give her a little bit something more to chew on. Something, yeah, something more to chew on. That's exactly it. I I don't know. I mean, it it seems to me like, because, you know, so much of what Jane could do because of their relationship is to balance him out and soften him out and to see her in trouble. I think you're right. I think it would have made a very challenging story to architect around his emotional discomfort as this god on Earth. And I think it would have been super distracting from the team up. I actually think in hindsight, it's it, it was a, it, it felt like she was missing in the movie. But I think in hindsight, it's smart to leave her out because I, I think it, it's this is a movie about the superhero team. And she at this point was not a superhero. Well, Pepper's here. Yeah, for like three minutes. I'm just saying, it, again, it's early yeah. in the thing. No, I get it. It would have, even just having a scene where she wasn't taken, but something where he could have talked to her or something might have been a nice little touch. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Now, Banner hasn't ever interacted with Loki. Is there a reason that he he takes this approach in describing Loki at this point? <laughs> Does it make sense? <laughs> Is it by his actions that that he's calling him, saying his brain is a bag full of cats? <laughs> Did he get close enough to smell crazy on him? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Uh, 
it's a pretty uh, fun line to to give banner and uh I don't I couldn't see something like that coming from any I mean maybe maybe Natasha would say something like that as well, you know. Well, it, it seems like a Tony line. Like that seems yeah. like something to, and Tony has spent time with uh Loki now. It just I mean not a lot of time but at least more than Bruce has. And so it seems like that might be something that he would say. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe they rewrote and kind of handed Ruffalo some extra lines. So RDJ will bring him in at the end of the scene and he'll have his moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just end up finding that it feels a little written um, when a line like that comes out of a character. I'm like, how would he even know? Like, he hasn't talked to him at all. He hasn't yeah. even uh, you know seen him other than maybe some video footage as they brought him in. But right. This really is the sleight of hand, though. Like, it feels like at this point in the movie, we are talking about these kinds of things. Like, it doesn't it doesn't seem like these sort of logical leaps should exist. And yet it is the sleight of hand of the movie when you're watching it not a minute at a time. Like, I never stopped and thought about that when that that some of these leaps shouldn't logically have taken place. And and yet it it doesn't make a a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, if we just watched this and it took us a minute to watch it and process it, yeah, probably be okay with it. <laughs> yeah, right. We'd probably get through it without <laughs> how many times does that yeah. come up? But probably, uh, probably yeah, the uh, the euphemism "bag full of cats." Uh, it's interesting. The the let I'm more familiar with let let's not let the cat out of the bag. You know, let let's not let a, right. a secret out. So a bag full of cats. That's that's a, that's a lot of secrets in there. I, I, it's an Irish expression for a bad-tempered person, and uh, yeah, so I'm not exactly sure uh, where it came from as far as Irish. Uh, I shudder uh, like, to think. <laughs> but <laughs> you know what we just did with the cats the other day? It's kind of like that. <laughs> they were really mad. <laughs> Very interesting that the, that he uses that dis- that expression, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, there it is. So we're in this conversation. Tony arrives and uh, the Portland bit, which is great. Were, are you, were you a fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I feel like we've talked about this before, Robin. Yeah, I didn't watch to the very end. It was It's one of those ones that I'm like, I should go back. I'm like, do I even remember where where I left off or what was going on? I, I yeah. became pretty disillusioned with it. Uh, they started doing stuff with the Cree, I believe. And that's why I was just like, I, I'm not interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> what's going on here so i just dropped out but yeah i didn't i didn't even remember that portland is a, a reference to agents of shield i mean how is that i can't even remember well it's actually a reference from the film like this film since it happened first and they talk about the cellist and how she moved to portland all of this and this is that whole thing and it's it's an interesting conversation tool that you know our our fair writer director uses to kind of like bring bring these little bits through here and then it'll take us to uh, you know we'll have more of the conversation about the cellist and meet her in agents of shield albeit briefly huh briefly yeah but it's nice i mean these little things are nice they're nice to have these little beats that happen um because i mean those they're the beats that end up kind of making the characters like they're the character moments that we have and it's just short intro outro sorts of bits that the writer does so well but it does give us a lot of those little meaty bits is it a setup for the show or were they planning on a show after this movie is that why colson is much more appealing to tony uh, at least in this minute i mean even in the beginning of the movie he's a little like 
first name basis? Like, <laughs> what am I, Phil? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but all of a sudden, boom, like they're buddies and he wants to give him a weekend in Portland. Like, wh- why? My thinking is that that Tony is, he saw that Pepper had developed a relationship with Phil without him realizing and now he's getting in on it because he doesn't want to to be the one left out of that particular situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the way I see it. He's jealous. Yep. He's jealous, old-fashioned jelly. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so it is Oregon, right? Oregon? Sorry. Oregon. 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 Yeah. The Oregon Trail. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's the one we're yes, talking about. Yes, I was about. just there yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> now, is it? See, I looked up things to see in Portland, <laughs> Oregon, and Maine, and uh, <laughs> just in case, just in case, I was it. So I see there's an underground donut tour that Phil and Tony could go on. They could. The donuts are serious. This is a place that takes donuts very seriously. Voodoo, yeah, Voodoo Donuts. Voodoo, yep. Although there is a holy donut in Portland, Maine. Well, they're a, a, god, a much more God-fearing people than we are, I guess. <laughs> I saw there's also the, the Oregon Museum of Science and Technology, and maybe Tony's drawn to the sub from Red October on display we there. We love our submarine. The Pink Floyd light shows. <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> but there's also waterfalls and hiking. I, wasn't, I didn't think Tony would be too interested in doing any of that. Yes. Well, so is it the museum? Is it the donuts? I, it's really like we're not it, it, it's I don't know, maybe maybe it's the waterfall tour after all, because nothing else is really that great. <laughs> the roses are pretty impressive. The, the rose garden. extreme sports, the rose garden. That's true. If he's okay. a he's a, a got a, a green thumb, maybe he can, he can go compare his, his red color. He can go look through the roses. And it's see if it's all about it's color farming. He does <laughs> color farming for his future designs. Yeah. I just don't yeah. understand why is this Tony Stark though we're talking about. So what is so that's why I gravitated it to the Museum of Science and Technology is maybe that's yes. the appeal to him because I I would think he'd be like oh you got to get to Vegas like oh I, <laughs> play some yeah, great right, crafts right, right. there and uh, so many women and yada yada yada. So but is it is it because Phil's like I just. I just have not found the perfect donut yet. And he's like, you ever try voodoo donuts? And then that, been that, to voodoo donuts. Yeah. Let me zip over there right now because we've already seen Tony in the donut hole, yeah. right? Like this is an <laughs> established precedent. Tony digs his donuts. That's right. That's right. Ah, oh, we've really Very done true. some good work in the world today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, that's all I was wondering. Yeah. Well, I just got to say, Pete, I'm a little disappointed that you have yet to take me to Voodoo Donuts when I've come to visit. So now we have plans for my next trip up there. Yeah, you're going to you're going to love it. We're going to Voodoo Donut it. Mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. You see, uh, you get out of a smoky car in front of the museum, go to the Pink Floyd light shows. And right when the munchies kick in. Voodoo donut. You're ready. You're ready. <laughs> we, we do have a thriving edibles market here, too. Very creative. There you go. With what they do with non-traditional consumables. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure we'll find something for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap up today's minute. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. Or no, Robin, we'll be back with you in, I don't know, about a week and a half to talk about Minute 67. 
Uh, so that should be fun. For now, though, uh, tell everybody about uh, what it is that you have out there in podcast land. Uh, right now, I have uh, Karate Kid Minute, which is on hiatus uh, until the final season of Cobra Kai comes along. And if they decide to make another uh, Karate Kid movie that might be worthy to break down into smaller bits to talk about. <laughs> Other than that, there's also I, we started the Sword Boys podcast recently and we're breaking down Highlander into uh, various cuts not minutes uh and we're going to continue <laughs> talking about movies like beastmaster and hawk the slayer and i don't know conan or red sonia and stuff like anything with a sword uh the sword boys will be there to talk about it sword boys sword boys. Uh, dare to dream <laughs> check out the links we'll have those in the show notes everybody and you yes. can find everything there for all of robin's podcasts and uh Thank you so much for joining us today, Robin. Thank you for having me. We'll be back tomorrow uh, to talk with Eric Deutsch about Minute 55. So, Pete, thanks as always. I wonder if Eric's a sword boy. (laughs) We'll have to ask him. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yavo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.